Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Text Driven Podcast, where we help to provide resources to help you to live a text-driven life. We're in the middle of a series uh, speaking about the topic being distinctly Baptist. And we've now reached that second-to-last letter in our Baptist acronym, which is helping us to understand God's design for the church. Now, before we look at the letter S in the term Baptist, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of a significant verse in the New Testament. Several times throughout this series, we have looked at Matthew 16 and the discourse that Jesus has with his disciples concerning the doctrine of the church. In Matthew 16, Jesus said this, upon this rock, I will build my church. In many respects, the phrase, I will build my church, has been foundational for each letter in our Baptist acronym. Now, the reason is that being a Baptist, uh, being a Baptist does not have anything to do with what man thinks. For being a Baptist is tied directly to Scripture. Therefore, being a Baptist is concerned with God's design for the church. Not man's design, but God's design for the church. So because God is the chief architect of the church, he is responsible for really answering the following questions. What is the church? Who is the church? Where is the church? And why do we have the church? And then finally, how does the church function? Each of these questions are answered in scripture by God. And we've spoken about many of these through this series about being distinctly Baptist. So our attention now needs to turn to a very specific topic. In this episode, we're going to look at the S letter in our Baptist acronym. The letter S stands for Saved Regenerate Church Membership. Now, just to go over, let's remind ourselves of the other letters. The B in Baptist stands for Biblical Authority. The A in Baptist stands for autonomy of the local church. The P in Baptist stands for priesthood of the believer. The T in Baptist represents the two uh, ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. The S in Baptist is what we're going to talk about today, saved, regenerate, church membership. And then in our next episode, we'll deal with the T in Baptist. Those are the two offices, pastor and deacon. So in our topic on saved, regenerate church membership, we're going to answer three questions. Question one, who is the church? Question two, why does regenerate church membership matter today? And question three, how do you practice regenerate church membership. Are you ready? Well, let's dive in. Who is the church? This question seems very simple to answer. 
A simple question, a lot of times, just takes a simple answer. Many of us would recognize the church as being those individuals that comprise the membership role at any given church. Others might simply answer the question, who is the church, by saying this, Christians, that's who the church is. Well, in some way, both of those proposed answers can be misconstrued. Let's first deal with the person who gives the answer, Christian. Technically, the doctrine of regenerate church membership is to say that only Christians are part of the church. However, normally the simplistic answer that the Christians are the who of the church needs further clarification. I have found that a person in my own ministry who gives the answer, generic answer, Christian, is doing so in a very simplistic way. What I mean is that a person who says Christian is all there is to a church does not refer to a particular local gathering of Christians, but rather to this non-defined group of people. Now, it is true that all Christians are the, quote, who, close quote, of the church. However, our visibility as a church is not readily seen until our glorified state. It is not until the second coming of Christ that Christians can collectively refer to themselves as the church. The reason why we have to wait until glory is because only God knows who is on the eternal membership role of the church. Now, astonishingly, there is an anti-institutional mindset in our American culture that spurns at the concept of a visible local church. Uh, to be honest, most advocating for a more universal and non-visible expression of the church are doing so out of a reaction. I know that I have come across just in pastoring and in my own church, people who are hesitant to commit to a local body of believers. And really the reason why they're hesitant is because of some type of hurt or pain they've experienced in a church in their past. And the predominant excuse I get for people not wanting to, say, join a church is because the church is full of hypocrites. Why join a hypocritical group of people? Now, when I get that excuse, here's how I respond. So is Costco, your country club, and Walmart. But you still go and belong to those organizations. So why wouldn't you belong to a church? You see, the visible local church is God's design for his people to find community. When there are instances of pain and hurt that come from belonging to a local church, you can respond appropriately through prayer. Dear friend, let me encourage you not to run from God's design, but rather to embrace that God is at work. Circumstances and feelings have most assuredly contributed to the anti-local church movement in modern Christianity. 
But that is not the only contribution impacting one's understanding of church membership. The other is a biblical argument. Some people actually do not see in Scripture a biblical precedent for church membership. Uh, They speak more in kingdom language instead of local church language. Now, let me just say, I believe both the kingdom and the local church are uh, terms that need to be protected because both terms are biblical terms. For there is the kingdom of God in which we live as ambassadors, and there is also the visible local church language that we see in Scripture. Scripture is very clear about local church membership. Scripture is also very clear that church membership must only be given to those who have professed faith in Christ as evident of their outward sign of baptism. So Scripture tells us that there should be a visible local church. So to help us think through this, let's first deal with the language argument in Scripture And then we're going to move to the logical argument in Scripture. Now, the language of Scripture speaks of joining a church member as a church member. In Acts 2, those who were saved, this text tells us, were added to their number. Later in that same chapter, Luke explains that the Lord added to their number. Now, these instances at Pentecost demonstrate a sort of membership accountability. See, the language shows that new believers were added to their number. This indicates that record-keeping of believers was already being established and that people could be added to that record if they met the criteria. That's our language argument. Now, the logic argument of Scripture speaks of the need for church membership. One responsibility of a local church is to exercise discipline upon those within their membership who have habitually walked away from Christ through unrepentance. Matthew 18 outlines the criteria and steps for discipline, and 1 Corinthians 5 gives an example of discipline. Let me encourage you to take your Bible and look up those passages and study them together to see God's procedures and an example of how the Apostle Paul wanted those procedures to be done in the church of Corinth. Now, the only logical way that a congregation can effectively perform disciplinary procedures is if that membership is known, if membership records are kept. It would be illogical for a group of believers to exercise discipline upon a person whom they have no knowledge of personally. You see, the language and logic argument of Scripture for church membership leads to our discussion of criteria. If people are added, as Acts 2 says, and those who are added can also be excluded as discipline teaches, then it becomes important for a person to know why they are being added and to what they are being held responsible. The only manner of membership that can consistently answer the why and the what of local church membership 
is the Baptist position of regenerate church membership. You see, if we go back to our Acts 2 passage from earlier, we will see that the criteria for being added to membership was, listen carefully, faith alone, in Christ alone, as evidenced by the outward sign of baptism. For it was only those who believed who were baptized and only those who were baptized that were added to their number. Now, additionally, the fact that discipline is an action that the congregation can do presupposes that the members have a mutual understanding of what is and is not expected of them. Furthermore, it stands to reason that you can only hold Christians accountable to a biblical expectation. Now, that just makes logical sense, doesn't it? How can you hold a non-believer accountable to biblical standards? Non-believers cannot be held accountable to biblical expectations of membership because their hearts are unregenerate. It's impossible for them to follow God. So that leads us to our second question. Why does regenerate church membership matter today? Now, if there is a doctrine needed today that has arisen, that has risen to the level of importance of biblical authority, now we talked about that in a previous episode, it would be regenerate church membership. For there are three sadistic enemies that have infiltrated the church and caused a decrease of regenerate church membership. These three enemies are, listen carefully, number one, individualism. Number two, pragmatism. And number three, consumerism. Now, let me explain how these enemies have caused the need for a resurgence of regenerate church membership. First, individualism. Individualism has created such a selfish perspective in the church. Instead of church being a community of Christians serving in God's kingdom or described as a family of believers led by their heavenly father, the church has become a gathering of selfish individuals looking to have their individual desires tickled and scratched. For 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that in the time of apostasy, People will not endure sound doctrine, wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and desires. That's selfishness. Now, this heightened individualism is not what God intended for his church. At the heart of individualism, at the heart of of individualistic thinking is the deadly sin of pride. You see, at the heart of individualism is pride. And what should be at the heart of the church is humility. Paul said this in Philippians 2, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he explains the humility of Christ. Though he existed in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. The same humiliation 
that Christ went through in his incarnation is the example of the humiliation, the humility that we so desperately need at the heart of the church. A church that is infected with pride and individualism is a church in need of practicing regenerate church membership. Number two, pragmatism. Pragmatism is another enemy of the church. In pragmatism, a church leader is driven by the idea that whatever works is good. The end goal of a pragmatic church can be things like more people and more programs. The means by which to accomplish that goal is whatever is necessary. Scripture is not even consulted. And if it is consulted, it is twisted in order to accomplish that end goal. Therefore, membership requirements are often relaxed so that there is not any accountability among the members. To hold accountability would be a deterrent to accomplishing the goal of having just more people and more programs. In extreme pragmatic churches, Salvation nor baptism are requirements for membership. The third sadistic enemy, consumerism. Now, consumerism threatens the biblical practice of regenerate church membership. When a church adopts consumeristic thinking, they're not allowing scripture to drive them. Consumeristic churches are not text-driven. Instead, consumeristic churches are consumer-driven. The needs of the people trump the authority of Scripture. When consumerism is adopted, regenerate church membership cannot actually be practiced. A church practicing regenerate church membership is not concerned with individual people's wants and desires and their own glory. Instead, a church that is committed to regenerate church membership is concerned with the gospel and the glory of God being on full display. Which leads us now to our third question. How do you practice regenerate church membership? God's word is fully sufficient to provide the instruction that we need to adequately practice regenerate church membership. I want to give you several practical ways you can begin in your church to restore regenerate church membership. First, if you're going to practice regenerate church membership in your, in your congregation, then you have to have a clear understanding of regeneration. Regenerate church membership cannot be practiced without a biblical understanding of the gospel. The gospel is God's good news for how an unrighteous sinners are declared righteous by virtue of the completed work of Jesus on the cross. When a person believes in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone for their salvation, they become a new creation. That's exactly what 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us. Now, after a church begins to preach and teach a biblical gospel, then 
they need to practice a biblical understanding of baptism. Now, we discussed baptism in a previous episode entitled Two Ordinances of the Church. But for our discussion today, we need to recognize the timeline of baptism as it relates to church membership. As spoken of earlier in this episode, Acts 2 explains it this way, that conversion and baptism were the necessary prerequisites for a person to be counted as a church member. Now, the third action that will help you practice regenerate church membership in your congregation is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Supper is an ordinance for the, uh, for the church to practice together. It's a fellowship ordinance. Only those who are professing Christians are actually admitted to the Lord's table. And as part of the Supper, what believers do is they proclaim the gospel to one another for the purpose of sanctification. So just think about that for a second. If the Supper is meant to proclaim the gospel to other believers for the purpose of sanctification, then an unregenerate non-believer would not have any benefit from the supper. So to practice the Lord's Supper biblically, it's actually to affirm the practice of regenerate church membership. Now, the final action um, that will help your local church practice regenerate membership is a regular reminder of the covenant expectations for each person who is a member. Remember how we talked about discipline? How you cannot discipline a person who doesn't know what they belong to or uh, why they belong to it or what the expectations are? Well, this is where a church covenant comes into play. So if you're a pastor or a teacher in your church, let me encourage you to do something. Speak more in terms of we instead of you. By addressing the congregation or the Bible study class with the term we, what you're doing is you're showing how the church is comprised of believers in fellowship together. You're, you're showing that relational aspect. You're showing that one another language of the New Testament. You're showing that community, that familial language of the church. And by doing that, there then becomes a mutual expectation of what being a member is when you speak in the we terminology. So in conclusion, regenerate church membership is a critical component of being a biblical church. No congregation, listen carefully, no congregation can be recognized as text-driven that does not practice regenerate church membership. As Christians, we ought to expect that our congregations are comprised of Christians. For our fellowship is not with darkness, but rather with light. So let's work to make sure that our churches, that our visible local 
churches reflect as closely as possible God's membership, role, and glory. Will we get it perfect? No, we won't get it perfect. But we sure can do a better job by being intentional and teaching the doctrine of regenerate church membership. Because that doctrine is biblical. And to be text-driven means that you're going to be biblical even in church membership. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Text Driven Podcast. For more resources like this one, go to our website, www.textdriven.org. And if you're ever in the Southwest Florida area, let me encourage you to join us at Fellowship Church on the Lord's Day. You can find the times and locations for our worship service on our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, know that we're praying for you to live a text driven life. God bless.